0: Thank you all so much. The uh, music here always, always makes it a lot easier to preach and prepares uh, your hearts so that you are more receptive to the preaching. It's so good to be back at at Canaan. I appreciated your, your pastor praying in the opening prayer that God's presence would come and be here. And then when I heard that crash in that opening prayer, I thought, I think he just showed up. Or or the way my heart pounded, I thought maybe I'm going to go see him instead. And uh, so I, I, hope, I hope that was a good sign. You know, in, in that case, I'd never started a service quite like that before. So uh, maybe good evidence that the Lord will be here. And then I, I noted tonight, too, this was interesting. I, your pastor keeps marking things off his bucket list because he's, he preached to youth in, in his past and then he became an evangelist and he became a husband and then he became a father and then he became a, a pastor. And it's, it's like he had to lead singing, had to lead a choir sometime. And, and he just keeps taking steps up, you know, and now he's led a choir and I've never seen him do that before. So I, I was impressed by that. And uh, if I knew he could do so many things, we would have never let them leave Stillwater before. <laughs> because we we could have have used him that really is special to be here one of the things that that it's interesting for Lisa and I is a few weeks ago we were in Sioux Falls South Dakota and I was preaching a missions revival for Brother Jason Jett and Brother Jett was at our church for 18 years and and, in my right hand and youth director music director and then so we had a lot of an investment in him and, and just grew very close over the years and then God called him to to pastor in Sioux Falls and so it was neat being able to be there with him and actually there were the Hendricks as well. They were there for that missions revival and it just, it it makes me want their church to do well because we've had such a history with the Jets and our church wants Eastside to do well. And and, and we feel the same way here. I didn't have as many years with your pastor and Christy as I had with the Jets. But the years that we had were very special years. And, and, and they came here uh, from Bible Baptist Church. And that makes our church have a desire to see this church go as far as it can because we want God to use them in a great way. And so it's really neat to be able to to be here just a few weeks after being in Sioux Falls and, and see somebody else that came through Bible Baptist Church that we love and and that we long for and pray that the ministry here does great um, because we want God to use them in a, in a serious way and uh, and so um, it, it's it's humbling to be able to to be here and, and to be here with the Ingrams. So we, we got to be with them during some uh, pretty, interesting and challenging times in their lives and, and it was a privilege to be their pastor through that as God, as God dealt with them and uh, was there when they were trying to figure out is God going to bless us with children or not and I remember a lot of just challenging conversations about all of that and then about him potentially leaving the field of evangel- being an evangelist and going to pastor and, and walking through them with that, and we're so glad to be able to see now what God has done with them and and very grateful uh, for that. And then I'll say right before I get to the the preaching, the uh, probably confession's good for the soul and and I am climbing out of uh, some some health stuff and I offered to back out. and uh, I think Brother Ingram was scared that that um, that Christy might not do as good a job if I backed out. And so uh, he didn't let me back out and I wasn't trying to back out. I just said, I, I don't want you to have half a preacher this week and, and he thought, well, half a preacher be better than letting Christy preach. So, um, but I've heard Christy preach and, and it was not half a preacher. It was, uh, she made the rest of us half a preacher by the time she was done uh, preaching, particularly Brother Ingram and I, but we, we won't get into that. Uh, at all. So again, we're looking forward to being here for the week. And and so even though I don't know many of you, you're special to us um, by proxy from your pastor because of how special they are to us. Job chapter 33. Let's stand together. Job chapter 33. So I may not have the uh, dynamics uh, tonight. Maybe that I'm not extremely dynamic anyway, but maybe not even as much as I would like. But I will have the passion and I hope that you will Make a point to really pay attention and it's, we're not going to just deal with primary missions text. We are going to deal with missions and some of the purposes of of missions and and specifically as your pastor talked about mindsets, and I'm going to ask you to do your part to be sure that you get this. By the way, the the six fifteen time and, and catch the burden, you know we, we might could say catch their burden, and in a lot of ways, a missionary comes and they feel the pressure to try to do everything they can to get you to catch the burden. But can I encourage you to do your part to catch their burden? And, and for you to decide you're going to listen and you're going to go by their table and you're going to ask them the questions so that by the time the week is over, you personally have a sense, I, I understand the burden they have for their field. I promise you it will make this a better meeting for you if you'll do that. And then if you'll try to get the things that we'll be dealing with from the text. In, in verse 23, Job chapter 33, verse 23, we'll read just a few verses here and then we'll pray and we'll have to back up quite a ways to understand the, the context of this. Verse 23, if there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto man his uprightness, Then he is gracious unto him, and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray unto God, and he will be favorable unto him. And he shall see his face with joy, for he will render unto man His righteousness. I know it's hard to keep the he and the his straight with who it's referring to. We'll deal with that. But he's not talking about man's own righteousness here in in either case. Verse 27, he looketh upon men and if any say, I have sinned and perverted that which was right and it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit and his life shall see the light. I love this verse. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man. Aren't you glad he worked that with you? And that he does it for any who would call upon him. Father, only you know what needs to happen at Canaan this week. And I pray that you would use these missionaries who are guests here Um, use Lisa and I who are guests here to do our part to bring the, the various aspects that you would use us to contribute. But I know that we are really not, though we be in the front, we're not the primary determiner of what happens this week. And in a sense, I understand that you aren't either. You will dispatch your Holy Spirit to speak and to do what people will allow you to do. But I pray that every member in this room would take their responsibility seriously on a week like this, and that they would desire very sincerely to get what you want them to get so they can do what you want them to do. Lord, protect this church from deception this week. The deception... That James said comes from being hearers and not doers. That leads to deception. Lord, what a shame that we call it missions revival in in a church this wonderful. And people end up becoming maybe more deceived. Because they just sat through more messages. And did nothing more than they had planned to do or that they did before the meeting ever started. Protect them from their own. Self deception. Use the messages to stir. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I know I don't have to go back over the entire story in detail of the story of Job. Let me just hit the high spot so that it gets your mind going in the direction of where this section falls in the story of Job. So, Job was a godly man, and God had blessed him immensely, maybe not with the best of friends, but he, invest, he invested in him significantly, in him being able to collect so much, and, and, and goods, and family, and all of those things. And so Satan goes before God and, and says, you know, he only serves you because you've blessed him with so much. If you took all that from him, he would not serve you. And, and so, uh, you know, God takes from Job all of those things and even puts Job in, in a situation with his health to where it, it is lacking and, and he's miserable physically and, and yet he doesn't sin with his lips and his three friends come and the book of Job is primarily comprised of these conversations of Job's three friends trying to help him make sense of what just happened in his life. Maybe you've been there. I've been there as a pastor. Your pastor's been there. Things happen in people's lives and we don't know exactly why. We can't explain. Have you ever tried to explain maybe to somebody in this church that's gone through some tragedy? I, I remember speaking uh, somewhere around here it was I think for a, a couple 's retreat and and you had you had a, a church member who who died I think an automobile accident or something around that time as as I recall and and just trying to figure out how does how do you explain some of those things and job 's three friends are trying to explain to a, a man who was a godly man why he just lost everything i mean that doesn 't that did not make sense in our human minds. And so chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter is this, this conversation going back and forth of them trying to help Job understand it. And, and honestly, Job not understanding it either. God didn't say to him, I'm going to do this to you for this reason. Even in Job's mind, he's trying to understand, why did this happen to me? Well, this whole time, All this conversation's going on. Over in the shadows is a young man. And this young man is listening to everything that these three men say to Job. And in in chapter 32, Elihu comes out of the shadows. And he says, you know, there's a a spirit in man and and the, the spirit of the Almighty helps him to understand. And he says, I've heard all of your answers but in some ways, he says, I want to make a case for God. And he starts explaining all of this. And I know some people will have a, a view of Elihu that maybe he was prideful. But I, I don't necessarily take that view. He has some very great things to say. And he stands in defense of God. And when he, as he begins this defense of God... That's where we're going to pick this up. He's kind of made some introductory remarks. But we want to come in to verse 8. And, and notice what he says in verse 8. So Elihu is still speaking to Job and his three friends, and particularly Job. And he says, look at verse 8. You have to follow verse by verse along with me here. Surely thou hast spoken in mine hearing... And I have heard the voice of thy words saying. So let's be sure that even though that's simple, let's be sure that we understand what Elihu is saying. He's saying, I listened to y'all's explanations about what happened to Job. You said these things where I could hear them. I've heard them. I've processed them. And he says, let me repeat back to you what I heard you say." All right, that's, that's what he says. I, I have heard the voice of thy word saying, so in verse 9, this is not what Elihu is saying directly. It's what he heard Job and his three friends saying. And so basically he's going to say, and we're going to look at, at it in verses 9 through 11, that Job believes that God could be punishing him unjustly. And I don't fault Job for that because Job would know that he had tried to serve God and maybe from a human standpoint didn't deserve what happened to him. And maybe even from a divine standpoint, God didn't do that to him because Job deserved it. That was the interaction going between God and Satan. But Elihu says, Job, here's what I hear you saying. Look at verse 9 I am clean without transgression, I am innocent. Neither is there iniquity in me. Behold, he findeth occasions against me. He counteth me for his enemy. He putteth my feet in the stocks, He marketh all my paths. And so Elihu says, Job, this is what I hear you saying, that you're innocent. There's no transgression and God's treating you like, your enemy, like his enemy and, and he's, he's put your feet in the stocks, he's marked your paths. He says, I, I hear you saying that, but then Elihu says, I want to reason with you about something you need to understand about God. And so in verses 12 through 14, what we're going to learn here is Elihu explains why man will not always understand what God is saying to him. Notice this in verse 12. Here's part of it, he says, Behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee that God is greater than man. And so he's going to give him three ways that he's going to explain why man does not always understand what God does. So that's the context of this whole section. Man understanding what God does, because Job was struggling with that. So he says first, he says, I'll answer thee, God is greater than man. Meaning God's ways are above man's ways. God can do things that because he's God and we're men, though we're made in the image of God, we do not have God's mind. We, we do not have God's perfection. We do not have God's holiness God does many things we cannot understand because he's greater than us. It's just by nature of who he is, he can do what he does, and I don't understand it. You don't understand it because we are mere men and he's God. So Elihu says, you know, Job, you, you can't always understand God because he's God and you're man. And he's greater than you, and he will do things that you can't grasp. That was verse 12. He says another one in verse 13. He says, why dost thou strive against him? Here's his second reason. For he giveth not account of any of his matters. So second, God's not required to explain himself to man. God doesn't owe me an explanation. I can't say to God, listen, I, I, I saw this happened in my life and I saw this happen. Now, now you owe me to know why. No, he doesn't. I mean, his own son asked, why hast thou forsaken me from the, the cross? I, I, th- those questions exist, but particularly when they come from us, there is nothing that we say or that we want to know that obligates God to explain himself to us. And so, that, so his first reason is God is greater than man. Then he makes another point. He says, he giveth not account of any of his matters. He doesn't have to explain. But in verse 14, Elihu gives the third reason that man doesn't always understand God. And it takes up many of the next several verses. Look at verse 14. For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. So when Elihu's trying to explain all this to Job, he says, "Job, you're not always going to understand God. This may not make sense to you one because he's God, you're man, he's greater than you. Second, he doesn't have to explain, but third, sometimes he does explain and we don't get it. We don't perceive it. Sometimes God does choose to say, here's what I'm doing in your life, but you don't always get it. And so now, if you can kind of follow the outline a little bit, now Elihu is going to say, now let me give you some examples of that third reason when God speaks, but you don't always understand. So that's what begins in verse 15 and goes all the way through verse 22. So look at verse 15, in a dream in a vision of the night when deep sleep falleth upon men in slumberings upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of men and sealeth their instruction that he may withdraw men from his purpose and hide pride from men. So he says one of the ways that, that happened in this day and time that doesn't happen in our time because we believe in a, in a closed revelation of God's word All right, No open revelation as far as a new revelation that God speaks to you that he doesn't speak to somebody else. God gives his Holy Spirit to illuminate the word of God and they work in conjunction and that's how God speaks to us. But in this day, God would speak directly to somebody about some new revelation. And so he says, sometimes God does that in dreams. And God did that in the Old Testament. He would speak to somebody in a dream. That's what he says in verse 15, starting out in the vision of the night. When when you're in deep sleep, then he openeth the ears and sealeth their instruction that he can affect what man is going to do, that he can say, I I want you to do this, for I want to reveal this to you. And, And yet sometimes man doesn't understand what God is saying in a dream. That's the reason sometimes some had to say, I need an interpreter of this dream so that I can know what God meant. So Elihu explains, sometimes God speaks, but you, don't, you, didn't, you didn't hear him, and maybe one of those was a dream. Verse 18 is the second reason. He says, he keepeth back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. Meaning another way that God sometimes speaks and we don't get it is that he protects us from some harm or from some tragedy where where god god takes him and he you, you thought you were going to the pit you thought that you were going to die and you didn't die or your life by perishing from the sword and that because god intervened that's what he means when he says he keepeth back his soul that one was headed there but then god intervenes and and is and is explaining something to man or or maybe conveying something to them by keeping them from tragedy maybe you've been there In which maybe through a health crisis, maybe almost in an accident or thought that you were going to die. And there's times when you look back at that or even at that moment and you say, God, I want to understand everything you're saying to me right now. And there are times that that God has protected you because of something he wants to do in your life. Elihu was just saying that. He was saying that that's what happens sometimes. He, he'll keep back man's soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. But then in verse 19, when he gives the third reason that God speaks and men don't get it, now he, he says the contrast to that what he just said in verse 18. In verse 19 through 22, he says sometimes he does put sickness there. Instead of keeping you from it or protecting you from tragedy, sometimes he puts you in harm's way and tragedy to get your attention. Look at verse 19. He is chastened also with pain upon his bed and the multitude of his bones with strong pain so that his life abhorreth bread and his soul dainty meat. He's just describing sickness here, a a serious sickness Verse 21, his flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen and his bones that were not seen stick out. Yea, his soul draweth near unto the grave and his life to the destroyers. He says, so sometimes God places man in harm and tragedy to get his attention and causes him to experience something that he would cry out to God and say, God, I want to know what you want me to get through this. Please show me what your point is if there is a point that you are making to me. And so beginning with verse eight and then going through verse 22 is all about Elihu trying to explain to Job. Job, God has a, A plan, he has a reason, he has an explanation, but you're not always going to understand it. It can be a challenge for these various reasons. That's where our verse comes in tonight at verse 23. He says, if there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand to show unto men his uprightness. He's basically saying if somebody could help him make sense of his life from God... Then he could be saved. that then he is gracious unto him and saith deliver him from going down to the pit in verse 24, because he's saying sense can be made of life if somebody will help him to make sense of it. And and I, and I want you to I want you to consider verse 23 here in in some ways that in in the United States of America or in parts of it as as brother Lassiter said even in the in the south then we have we have so many churches we have so many explanations people that seem to speak for God and I, and I realize that we have churches we have preachers we have books we have tracts we have radio, we have television, we have the internet, we have social media, we have all of these things. We have billboards, all of these things that, that are making points. But in places like Cameroon or, or even now in, in post-post-post-Christian England, even in a place like El Paso where so many are coming across the border from places where the gospel does not flow as free, That there are many people who don't have access to so many messages from God that we do. In in America, we we can have an explanation seemingly from God anytime we want it. If we want to go to a church, even if it's not the best church, you could still get something. But what verse 23 conveys is where I want to deal with tonight. Because I want you to look at verse 23 as an explanation for a missionary. That's what a missionary does, is what verse 23 says. I want you to notice this. He, he says, we're going to take the, the verse apart. He talks about a messenger, somebody that carries a, a message. Everyone is promoting messages. Man, have we not just come out of a time in America in which we have been bombarded with everybody's messages an election year? I mean the, the 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 signs along the sides of the road, you know, demanding that we, we vote for this candidate, the commercials, especially the last two or three days before the election, man, it was relentless. And message after message after message. And then the, the commercials that come just commercial after commercial after commercial saying we want you to buy this, we want you to vote this way, we want you to, to entertain yourself this way, we want you to, to use this product, we want you to watch this team, we want you to we want you to, to listen to this music, we want you to watch these programs. I mean, we are bombarded. The the, the latest figure that, that I could find from last year was we are bombarded on average with 10,000 ads a day as of 2022. 10,000 messages coming your way a day by form of an ad. And that's that's a lot of messages. And all of them wanting something from you and conveying something. But somewhere in the midst of all of that babble is God's voice. In the middle of everything that you hear every day, the the voices of the ads, the voices from coworkers, the the voices from your employers, the, the voices from all the media that you take in, there is the voice of God. And he has a message for every specific man and woman in our country and every country besides ours that he died for each and every one of them. And he wants them to know that. He wants to bring a message of order in the middle of all the chaos, like Job had faced, something that would help him make sense. Thank God that there are still some who surrender to be messengers. Messengers that do something specific. In particular, it doesn't just say a messenger. It says a messenger with him. Don't lose sight of that. We can't do everything by the internet. We can't do everything with social media. We can't even just do everything with tracks. There's something to be said for being able to stand beside somebody else in their pain. And in their being distraught. And in their lack of understanding order in their life and the chaos that they see all around them and and everywhere they look, nothing seems to make sense to them. But if they had a messenger with them, somebody who could stand beside them, maybe even just put a hand on their shoulder or an arm around them and can have a relationship with them and can see into their eyes and could hear the tone of their voice, if they could be with them, it has a power that goes beyond any track, any television evangelist, any internet message, any email. He says that the messenger that can be with him, that's what a That's what a missionary does. The missionary is going to be most effective when they go there. And they can be with them and stand beside them. Now, it's not just that. He says a messenger with him. Then he says an interpreter. Now, obviously, when we think of interpreter, we think of language. And and so let's be sure that we understand that. So... Um, what do they speak? Is it French in Cameroon? They speak French. And so I think they, they said one of their first acts is to get to Cameroon they're going to learn the French language. And, and so they're they're going they're going to go there and, and so there's English, but then there's French. And so in, in this case, then you know let, let's say that that there's one here who understands that there's there's English. And then there's French over here. And the, the French doesn't understand English. And the English doesn't understand French. Now, what the person is saying in English makes sense. But it doesn't make sense to the person who only knows French, right? Is that the way it works? And, and the one speaking French, they're, they're making sense of whatever they're trying to say. Maybe they're trying to order something from the marketplace. They're, they're speaking French. And it makes sense, but the person, the English person doesn't understand it. So what an interpreter does is an interpreter is one who understands French and understands English. And so when somebody is speaking English, they translate, they take what they're saying, which does make sense. And they translate it into a way in which the person that only speaks French can understand because they convert it from English to French. And and they can take what the French says and and they can convert that into English. What what the French-speaking person says and convert it into English, that's what an interpreter does. An interpreter is somebody that understands both. That's language. But he's not talking about language here directly. He's talking about what God is doing and what man understands or doesn't understand. And this messenger, the one with the message from God, from God goes to be with him. They go to the field and they are an interpreter for God. Because they have understood and studied the word of God and they know how God works. They understand that that this one they are going to be speaking to who is in chaos was created in the image of God and that God loves them so much that he sent his own son to die for them so that he could have fellowship with them and that he designed them to operate this way and how they could be fulfilled and how they could be truly satisfied at a soul level. And so this messenger with him is an interpreter who takes what God said that this man can understand. He's a natural man. He receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for they are spiritually discerned. And so the interpreter, the messenger with him takes God's message. And because the interpreter lives with him, lives in his country, And in his culture, in his neighborhood, understands what it is like in that culture, then this interpreter, this messenger with him, this missionary is able, because he knows this side and this side, he takes the voice of God and the message of God and he helps the man understand it because the missionary understands his culture and what he's going through because he lives in that culture. And he's an interpreter to help this man understand what God is saying to him. So remember the context then, then Elihu is kind of saying somebody is going to have to help you Job understand what God says and that's what he's beginning to convey here in verse 23 and that's what the missionary does. They have to be With him. Somebody has to send them to be with them so that they can interpret what God has to say. So that all of these family problems that they're having, they're wondering, what's this all about? How do we fix this? The missionary converts what God says about the family in a way in which they can understand. He's the interpreter for God in that culture and in that country can help them make sense. So, we, so let's continue. A messenger with him, an interpreter. Notice the last phrase. To show unto man his uprightness. He's not talking about his own uprightness. If you'll put the two verses together, then you'll realize that the the his is referring to God and God's message to him. And and to show him God's uprightness, God's plan for man, God's work for man. And, And he's highlighting the goodness of God, not the goodness of man. Which, by the way, is one of the reasons that our missions and your missions must focus on getting them the gospel, not primarily medicine or agricultural or or, or just teaching them things. You, You need to realize you already give to all of that through your tax dollars. Billions of dollars goes to every one of those. You, you already support these other countries in all of those things. They need the gospel. They need people in churches like this to say... If, if we're going to, if our country's going to give all these billions of dollars for this other stuff, and, but they need the gospel more than anything else that, that can help them eternally, not just maybe take away a little bit of misery now, but can heal them on the inside and that they could, they could know that they have eternity with God. Even if their misery is not corrected a, a significant amount, they get to spend eternity with God. Somebody has to give money for that purpose. For these missionaries to go present the gospel. To show unto them God's uprightness. And then he says, here's the results of what the missionary does. That if somebody will be an interpreter for God and explains to man what they need, then verse 24, then he is gracious unto him and saith, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. A ransom in, obviously, we would take that now to understand Jesus Christ. verse twenty five his flesh this is what can happen to a family in Cameroon. His flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. he's not He's not meaning just that, Okay, well, his, he's going to reverse aging and, and all of that. Obviously, he, he's speaking about what he feels like, what his life becomes. That it can feel like it's new. And in a sense, returning to the days of his youth, he shall pray unto God. And he, again, meaning God, will be favorable unto him. And he shall see his face with joy, for he will render unto man his righteousness, meaning God's righteousness. And then he clarifies, He looketh upon men. By the way, this is the message the messenger takes, is that God looks upon men. And if there'll just be some who realize what the messenger is telling them and say, I've sinned and perverted that which was right, and I realize it did me no good. My way was worth nothing to me. He says, if if men come to that point, which we're just talking about, accepting the gospel, repenting, verse 28, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with men. God is willing to do this, verse um, verse 29 says, over and over and over and over again. That's what the result of the missionary is. God wants to do it in England. He wants to do it in Cameroon. He wants to do it in El Paso. But the final problem, back to verse 23. Missionaries are one among a thousand. One among a thousand. How many true gospel witnesses do you think there are in Cameroon? Not that many. How many do you think there are in England that are still proclaiming the true gospel? There's not a lot. how How many do you think there are who, do you find there are who give their lives so that a country like Cameroon can have the gospel? How many other people do you know that said, I'll go to Cameroon? I suspect That it's an extremely rare number of people. I suspect most of you don't know somebody else. They're one among a thousand. That's Cameroon's chances. That's England's chances. Can I say, ask you very directly how many have been called out of Canaan to go be an interpreter? One among a thousand really makes sense here, doesn't it? Because their churches aren't pumping out missionaries like factories. There's not many people in our churches willing to surrender their American way and go to a place like Cameroon. Uprooting their family from where God has them and, and go down to one of those areas that's on television every day as far as being dangerous or, or certainly needy like El Paso. We don't have a bunch. And certainly, whenever we find one, we have to get them there. Because thank goodness, all it takes is one among a thousand. I mean, have one missionary go to Cameroon and, and out of all of these others and all of these people even that, that don't understand in, in Cameroon, then, then they can go and they can be there and they can, they can get the gospel to a lot of people if they have what they need to go. If there is somebody who is willing to send the messenger with them and and the i mean the the odds are so stacked against us that we have to be willing every church has to be willing to give the, the, the of the time and the resources necessary because the odds are so small of people that are going and and thankfully it only takes one among a thousand but Canaan whenever you come across one that 's willing to go to Cameroon, you must do something about it if if God so leads your your pastor uh, to To support them, you have to be willing to say there's one among a thousand and we will do everything we can. But here's one of the final points is the first word of verse 23. If. If there's one among a thousand. If Cameroon has a messenger. If England has a messenger if the west side of El Paso has a messenger. If there's not a messenger and not an interpreter, then so much of what God says to these people, they may never understand, never sense the voice of God, never really hear it as clear as an interpreter could make it. Then there will be no deliverance from the pit. There might be a ransom, but they will never know because they couldn't get there. And it demands that we really comprehend this idea of one among a thousand, because God has a message to give to them. And he says, just just, just one out of all of these. Can I ask you something?" You, you're here in church tonight at a missions revival. Is there anything in you that you're thankful that you're not part of the thousand when it comes to the gospel? You, you get to be one who understands the gospel out of the thousands that, that don't. You, you, you get to be saved. You're in the United States of America. Not You weren't born in Cameroon. You get to be part of the the one among a thousand on this planet that got the gospel and you get to enjoy it. And now you have to decide how serious you are going to be to now become the one to see that the other thousand have a chance to get the gospel. As a matter of fact, let's just be sure you have to decide in your giving. Are you going to be part of the one? or part of the thousand. I mean, hopefully there's enough gratitude in here that you're not waiting for somebody to send the gospel to you that you realize, Lord, I'm so thankful I'm not part of the thousand waiting on the one that when it comes to giving, I will be part of the one and thank you that I'm not part of the thousand. It, it ought to be that every Every member of Canaan Baptist Church would say, I, I'm so thankful to be part of the one, I'll be part of the one in giving. You know, I know your pastors talked about it's not equal gifts, it's equal sacrifice. And it ought to be that a, a church like this, regardless of what everybody gives, that there is 100% participation. Not just in funding this church not the selfishness of saying, "Well, bless God, I give my tithe." Well, congratulations for being one of maybe the 1000. Canaan needs to be one of the the one we got Baptist churches all over the place, never sent a missionary, can't can't really find people who are willing to give much above their tithe to care about people around the world. We have enough churches even that are part of the thousand in the United States of America. We need churches to be part of the one and Canaan ought to be one of those. To say we're going to be one of those who really cares about this. At, At the place where you work, are you part of the one or the thousand? Are there people at your workplace that really don't understand God? Having family problems, problems with their kids, can't understand why they got that call from the doctor last week, can't realize why their family is in such disarray, and maybe God has you there as the interpreter for Him, the one among a thousand, in your circle, at your school. You know, it it might be that one of the things we need most as Christians and, and church members is to really grab the mindset of this whole idea that God, in every area of my life, I want to do everything I can to be part of the one versus the thousand. I, not not just an application to mission's church but a, as a church that wants to be used to its fullest every member in this room has to decide am i part of the do i have a mindset of the one or a mindset of the thousand it doesn't matter what the area is and getting involved in whatever the, the church is promoting getting involved in whatever the, the church is trying to a- accomplish in, in the way that you uh, approach your ministry and, uh, approach your outreach or, or approach your instrument or or approach the, the music or uh, approach the, the nursery or approach the, the sound and the video or approach the way the facilities are, are taken care of you're not going to do this in missions if there's not just something in your mind that says listen we've got enough of the thousand around I have to be part of the one I have to be part of the, the, the one who who wants to be a part of the solution and a part of bringing the answer to others instead of always being the one that has to minister to me the one who comes through those doors drives onto this property and comes through those doors every service and says I'm not going to sit there in my pew and be part of the thousand I want to be part of the one He wants to minister to everybody else. I love one of the sayings that we've tried to instill as a a mindset in our church. Are you going to be do what I can or are you going to be do what it takes? The one does what it takes. The rest says, "Ah, do what I can. Some of the greatest accomplishments that happen in churches. They're going to be by the one's. And, and every church member here needs to decide tonight and at the beginning of this missions revival tomorrow night when it's time to come back. You're going to have to decide, okay, missions revival sounds like it's pretty important, pretty important to God. Am I going to be part of the one? Or am I going to be part of the thousand? Amen. When it comes time to give to faith promise this Sunday, you literally are going to decide whether you consciously decide or not some of you are going to be part of the one some of you are going to be part of the thousand when you walk through the doors of your workplace tomorrow some of you are going to be the one some of you are going to be part of the thousand canaan can i challenge you from this very beginning of the missions revival decide you're going to approach this meeting that god help canaan baptist church be one of the one churches that wants to be part of the solution for the other thousand that takes place. Would you bow your heads with me and stand together as we get into a time of invitation?